Welcome to another episode of Concise Kansaratwa, your extremely irregular source of satire on everything from festival crowds to e-style clouds. I try to remember an age gone by, but I find that I have very faint memories of that age. And like how the recurrent dreams of our childhood weave themselves into actual events, I wonder if those memories are even real. The age looks more surreal than real, like a Salvador Dali painting. I am talking about the age when the world at large and the world around us grappled with the first wave of the scourge unleashed from Wuhan. I remember the frenzy when the first lockdown was announced, the chaos and the confusion, and the clarifications that came like aftershocks of an earthquake. I remember companies getting used to the new normal, with employees working from home. and reinventing excuses while attending online meetings which were proliferating like mushrooms after a fresh bout of rain i remember children getting excited about schools being closed and that excitement turned to bewilderment as online classes became the norm i remember the first time i stepped out during the lockdown masked up and social distanced standing on a circle drawn with a chalk as the store nearby opened for a few hours but had hardly anything stocked I remember how later the situation eased as stocks came back on shelves and online retailers ruled the roost selling anything from designer masks to dishwashers and from banganapalli to pochampalli I remember tracking the number of cases on nifty websites as they increased every day hoping against hope that the curve would somehow go the other way I remember self proclaimed data analysts predicting doomsday scenarios in the coming months based on mathematical models that had no basis in real life not even for rapidly reproducing rabbits i remember conversations with some friends who insisted that this is all just a big conspiracy while they wore the mask like a beard or that a cure is just round the corner i remember the economy floundering faster than the morals of journalists when they see a dead hindu and then the clamor for an economic recovery package I remember the super spreader event that was identified, outraged upon, and promptly forgotten, as if it were a benign micro tumor. I remember when the PM still looked confident, his eyes still twinkling, and his beard still short, as he talked about lighting dias and switching off lights, prompting expert journalists to worry about the collapse of the entire power grid, as if it were Congress in Bengal. I remember the opposition lost like a drunkard in a maze. but i remember that only because they have never behaved otherwise i remember the main road in my community empty of the flower seller an old woman from whom i used to regularly buy flowers and the fruit seller a young man from whom i used to buy what else fruits i remember wondering what happened to them just around deepavali if my memory of this nebulous period serves me right i saw the old flower seller after many months and she could not hold her tears back when i asked her how she was she turned away her face as the pain of the past months trickled down uncontrollably and all i could do was stand there i am not very good at consoling people in times of grief but she was a steely one she turned to me her eyes still moist with memories smiled at me and asked me if my family was all right i just bought some flowers from her more than what i would usually have done and left her to her thoughts in the time period between deepavali and good governance day the positivity was almost back 
not the cases which were largely forgotten except in a few cities, but the general outlook. The economy looked like it was bouncing back. Shops were open with new stocks in place. Malls were open with hourly parking. Bookings for cars and bikes were going on in full swing. Tourist places were getting as dirty as they were earlier. And some farmers even decided that they were better off spending their days on roadside gyms and massage parlors. We all looked forward to the new year with a new zeal that was only exceeded by that of a newly converted, hoping to forget the disruptive chaos of the days gone by. Apparently, the new year itself took a resolution to do good and to be good, but like all new year resolutions, this one did not last much long. In January, I visited the temples of South Karnataka with a mask and a hand sanitizer most of the time, but there was hardly any fear. In February, I took a flight for the first time in a year with an additional layer of security now to check the temperature, but there was hardly any fear. In March, I used to travel to my office regularly and even meet customers who were talking about opening their offices to visitors by April, but there was hardly any fear. As if out of nowhere in April, the second wave started and we are now in the middle of a much deadlier version of the Wuhan scourge. I am hoping actually that we are in the middle of it and that the coming days would only see the situation become better. In hindsight, we talk about how people were not careful and took everything for granted. We tend to flatten time scales when we remember the past, collapsing entire weeks into a few days or entire months into a few weeks. However, this only tells half the tale because people being careless in January does not create pandemic peaks in April. Also, being careless in Mailapur does not create peaks in Matunga, if you get the drift. Yes, there is a snowball effect, but there is also a proximity effect. If we had learned anything during the first wave, as it is now called, it was that there were major clusters that had developed especially in urban centers. The government had, in the first wave, designated areas as containment zones, depending on the severity of the spread. And therefore, whether then, as now, looking at overall numbers becomes an exercise in deliberate simplification to drive an agenda. We hardly hear whether these clusters remained from the first wave to the second, or whether the clusters in the second wave were very different from the first. Further, cases never actually dropped to zero in most places and there were always clusters that were precariously teetering on the edge of breaking free. In Maharashtra, the lowest number of active cases was around 35,000 in February, and in Kerala, the lowest number of active cases was around 25,000 in March. As the number of cases skyrocketed like the Sensex once did in the forgotten days, the time was just about right for a series of wacky narratives. While the cases were rising in Maharashtra, the cause was attributed to Hindus bathing in Haridwar, as if Maharashtra had zero cases before the Kumbh. In fact, Maharashtra was clocking more than 80,000 active cases during the first week of March, which increased to more than 400,000 active cases by the first week of April, a five-fold increase, when the Kumbh had just about started. Remember that the Kumbh was slated for the month of April. Now you know why I talked about collapsing weeks to days. But even then, the mayor of Mumbai had said that people returning from the Kumbh distributed the virus as Prasad. The Kumbh 
in a very Abrahamic sense, could wash away your sins, but not your incompetence. In a way, all of this was even more bewildering because from Haridwar, where the Kumbh was held this year, to Maharashtra, a random state that lies at the other end, one had to pass through regions where farmers were still protesting peacefully. In fact, these farmers were protesting peacefully since December and especially peacefully during the Republic Day, after which they had resorted to their usual peacefulness which continues till this day. If you are listening to this podcast a year later, it is highly probable that the peaceful protests would still be there with permanent structures catering to their daily needs. And it is also equally probable that the courts would have sanctioned their construction. If you are looking for a single cause that is in continuous existence since December, a single cause where people recklessly flouting norms in large numbers, a single cause in close proximity to a region that has seen a tremendous increase in cases, a single cause with people mingling from around the world in support, bringing whatever Wuhan variant prevalent then with them, then I am just offering the farmer protests as an example of a better explanation. In any case, the narrative that the media latched on to with a vengeance was the Kumbh, an event that was managed with all possible rules in place to avoid the spread of the Wuhan scourge. Although we could always argue about how much these rules were followed. The photos of Hindus bathing in the holy river, Ganga, were splashed across everywhere, as if telling the world that the Wuhan virus is associated with the Ganga and not with the Yangtze. I am sure, however, that other events such as the Tablighi Jamaat congregation, the longest running peaceful protest of farmers and massive crowds in festivals that are not Hindu followed every rule of scientific masking and social distancing. And by just looking at such compliance, the Wuhan virus itself would have doffed its pointed hat at them and proceeded to asphyxiate itself out of existence. The reasons for journalism congregating on the Kumbh are not that hard to imagine. And I hate that I have to actually spell these out. First, there are crowds, huge crowds, the basic ingredient for the Wuhan scourge. Second, these crowds disperse far and wide. So there is the story about how the virus spreads all over. Third, and the most important, the crowds are all Hindus and not just bindiless, tilakless, jeans-tea-clad Hindus who are confused like an art student in an advanced calculus course, but the true blue, ash-smeared, saffron-clad Hindus, sadhus. The Kumbh conformed to Western journalists' view of India, a country where saffron-clad Hindus regularly indulged in superstitious mumbo-jumbo with no access to modern concepts such as Christianity and toilet paper. The Kumbh also conformed to Indian journalism's view of India because there is more money to be made by mocking the beliefs of a billion Hindus than by holding a few thousand farmers responsible for mayhem. After all, we should thank a farmer for the single malt, but the uncouth sadhu is a burden on the earth. So it was no surprise when images of funeral pyres started dominating the narrative. If the coverage on saffron sadhus was like downing a bottle of old monk for the journalists, the funeral pyres were like a free supply of Viagra which is made by Pfizer, in case you did not know. A living Hindu was an abomination to be lashed out at, and what better than a dead burning one? So there appeared Barkhadat, who, we thought, had actually disappeared into obsolescence. Apparently not. She considered the whole exercise of reporting on the funeral pyres the way an American family goes for a picnic. 
She selected a place with a nice view of a large pile of logs, spread a cover to sit on, placed a bucket bottom-up for a laptop, then placed a cardboard box for a wired mouse as the touchpad must have been a new age technology for her to get used to, positioned a tripod with a phone recording her, and finally instructed someone to record her recording the video. As a neutral journalist, which we all know that she is, she may have tried to do the same inside a kabristan or a cemetery, but it is entirely possible that there were no deaths there due to the Wuhan virus because of proper precautions such as double masks and social distancing. If the idea behind this pyromaniacal picnic was to highlight the utter apathy of the government, the center or any states, then she could have reported on how the pandemic rules were being openly flouted by unruly crowds and barnacle bottom protesters even as the government authorities turned a blind eye. If the idea behind this pyromaniacal picnic was to highlight the utter incompetence of the government, the center or any states, then she could have reported on the lack of coordination between different agencies in setting up hospital beds, arranging for oxygen cylinders, ensuring the supply of life-saving drugs, and perhaps even helping some of them out in her own way. If the idea behind this pyromaniacal picnic was to highlight the utter helplessness of the government, the center or any states, then she could have reported where the bottlenecks are, what the government agencies are doing to overcome these bottlenecks, and when we can expect them to be resolved. In any scenario, she could have pointed out the utter lack of communication that has consistently plagued the massive relief efforts. Even ignoring the moral question of dignity during death and the sanctity of final rites for a while, the photos of funeral pyres of dead Hindus serve no actual journalistic purpose. They do fetch upwards of $20,000 a piece, but that is serving the journalist's purpose, not journalistic purpose. What would an influential American, for example, think upon seeing a picture like this? Oh my God, India is in deep shit. Look at them burning like hellfire. In a way, these Hindus deserve this for their uncivilized ways. We should save their souls. In the end, it is likely that the only purpose such unconscionable photos serve is to continue the trope of an anti-Hindu narrative, which, as we know quite well, is a very profitable global business. The flow of greenbacks has strained a little, what with Modi tightening FCRA laws, and there is now a growing clamor to demand the good old days back by begging for them. Many on social media, incidentally, compare these photos with the infamous photo by Kevin Carter, the vulture and the little girl indicating perhaps a morbid obsession with death. I do not agree with this, because this is not simply about obsession with death. It runs much deeper than that. If it were just obsession with death, then we would not have known that one dead man's father was a headmaster. So that's it folks. I will continue with my series on the Wuhan scourge in further episodes, as we have many aspects to cover. Election rallies, vaccination, economy, and whether any of this would make us better citizens and a better country. Until then, stay well and safe. May Dhanvantari bless us all.